Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Talk Radio. If it's in business, it's business soup. I'm John Debevoise, and when it comes to investment, investment in yourself is the best one. That's right. Invest in yourself. Learn how to make your passion. Turn it into profit. Well, we have the profit maker with us today, Mr. Tom Matson, empowering you, me, and all other entrepreneurs into the greatest force that you can be. So pull up a chair, sit on down. Business Soup is now served. Tom, welcome to this serving of Business Soup. Hey, John. So excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Well, Tom, you have been on stage and on fire with all kinds of businesses. When you launch something, when you go out looking for a business on, you know what, I'm going to launch this. What are you looking for? Are there key points that you look for as to this looks like a good opportunity? How many hours do we have? That's a complicated question. And let me unpack it for you. Because for me, to answer that, I have to look at three eras, three decades, really. In the first decade, to be frank, it it was simply, did I like the person? Did I like the idea? Let's go. And that's why it's now over 80 businesses I've started, many of which crashed and burned. Because my criteria, frankly, wasn't too discerning. And that, I can tell you, if you're listening in, that is not a strategy I'd recommend. Today, I have a a totally different set of criteria to answer that question. The first is, will it make a massive difference on the planet and leave what I call a legacy impact? So for me now, that's the first screen I look at. Well, what do you mean, will it make a massive impact on the planet? So in, in in the niche it's operating, will that world, whatever that niche is, be better off because of it? I no longer need to worry about working with projects that just make money. That's great, and I I don't begrudge people who do that. But for me now, one of the criteria is, will it make the world a better place? So, for example, we were talking in the green room before we got on air. I used to build coffee bars. In the beginning, it was just a matter of having fun, opening up coffee shops. But then I realized very quickly that if we roasted in store and bought organic coffee, we could create a dramatically superior product and make a difference on the lives of the coffee growers, the farmers in the developing countries. And we created what I call a triple win. We made money, our customers loved it, and the planet was better off. In this case, the coffee farmers who pick the coffee and normally use these sprays that are so toxic, they live one-third the lifespan of their fellow countrymen. You're talking about the organically grown and fair trade where the farmer is treated fairly in the growth and the production and distribution of their product. Absolutely. And I think in any industry segment today, not only do we have a moral obligation to look at that, we have a financial obligation to see how we can, as entrepreneurs, profit from doing good. I believe that you can do good and make money at the same time. So when I say, you know, looking at doing good for the planet, I really mean that. Now, sometimes it's environmentally doing good. Sometimes it's the suppliers, the vendors, the factory workers, if you will. I mean, there are different ways to apply that standard. There's plenty of people who just want to sell stuff. And that's my polite word for it. (laughs) (laughs) And that's fine. I don't. If I'm going to put my heart and sweat and blood and tears into it, I want to have something that's there. Number one. We're talking with Tom Matson, who is one and the same, the chief movement maker and empowering you. And 
my audience of small business owners, I look at and we look at, and as you do through you know, your publications that you've been in and Entrepreneur Success and even the Wall Street Journal and others, we talk about how do you surround yourself with the experts and empower yourself to make these changes. And as you were just talking about getting into those areas in the niche markets as you were with the coffee industry, how do you make a difference on this planet in the selection of an industry to go after? What's number two now that you've covered number one? Number two, if you're going to put all this time and effort into building a business, you might as well build equity. Now, that's a fancy word that a lot of CPAs like to throw around, but I'm going to give you the entrepreneur's version of equity, okay? The entrepreneur's version is you put a bunch of effort in, and when you go to sell, you get more than it's worth if you just sold the assets off. The spread between the value of the assets and what you get when you sell your business is equity from an entrepreneurial perspective. Well, some other call it blue sky. What is the valuation? It's a capitalized value. It's, it's exactly. no other than and any it's, other investment. Oftentimes, it's a multiple of how much you're making. But for small businesses, that multiple typically is three to five times earnings at best. And when you get above seven figures, it's typically one and a half or two times. Well, then you hear about this guy who sold for 52 times earnings. What, is the other purchaser a fool? Not necessarily, although sometimes that's possible. You know, we're on a podcast as we record this. Joe Rogan famously just did a deal with a major network, Spotify. Right. He's a podcaster. He, did, he got a $100 million contract. Most people heard that. Oh, yeah. But what they didn't hear was what happened to the value of Spotify, the accretive value, they call it in the stock world. Did you hear that number? It'll blow your mind, John. Drum roll, please. They announced the deal to Joe for $100 million. One of the biggest deals ever in the podcasting space. Spotify's value in 24 hours grew by $5 billion. So think about that. They spend $100 million, by the way, not all up front, right? So for a small business owner, you could take a few zeros off and just think the same thing. Would you spend $1,000 to have $50,000 in value added to your business? All day long. Absolutely. The fancy term in stock world is accretive value, the value that accretes to the company when you do something like that. On a much bigger scale, you've probably heard of Amazon and you've probably heard of Whole Foods, listeners. I know you have, John. Absolutely. Uh, when Amazon bought Whole Foods, they spent 13, 14 billion cash to buy Whole Foods. And overnight, Bezos became the wealthiest man in the world because his accretive value went up about $30 billion. Whole Foods paid for itself before he closed the deal. In literally as it closed, yes. We, as small business owners, we can learn from that. And one of the ways we can learn from that is, if we're going to get into a business, how do we make, the term I use now is scalable. How do we make a business scalable? If it takes you, the owner, to do everything, if you're the center of the business and everything flows through you, that's not scalable, <laughs> okay? Like there's lots of principles of scalable, but that's not scalable. And I can tell you for many of my businesses, I was the center or my entire business. And that's not scalable. That doesn't build equity whatsoever. So I am an expert on how not to do this for sure. And in the last 10 years, I started to get smarter and smarter in this area. And the last four years, everything we've done has been around building scale into our model, we teach it to our authority entrepreneurs. We do it in our scholarships that we give away to people. 
We do it in our for-profit. We have a foundation now. We, we do it in our nonprofit foundation because a nonprofit foundation is still a business. It's just a business of doing good. That's the second criteria that I look for. And I think it's probably the most misunderstood concept for small businesses. Entrepreneurs start to understand that. That's one of the differences to me between a small business owner and an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is working on their business more. They're thinking about strategy more. And a small business owner is in their business every day, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. And, you know, uh, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. God bless fellow small business owners. But you know what? It doesn't take much to shift. And the returns are so much better. And not just financial returns. Quality of life, the ability to bring a team on board, the ability to expand. I found in my own personal experiences with the various businesses that I operated was that it was so easy to step into that managing my own efforts or managing the business. And I was literally stepping over dollars to pick up pennies or dimes. And as opposed to thinking to the future, six months, 12 months out, planning where am I going to be then as opposed to how am I going to open the doors tomorrow cost me more money than the savings that I had by not having somebody else do the tasks that were literally, I could hire out by the hour, but my skill sets of looking to the vision of taking the company to the next level, I was overlooking that. And that's such an easy step for a business operator owner to do, to step out of the business owner to the entrepreneur step. You hit it. Yeah, so easy. And the first thing it takes awareness that that's even a thing, right? You need to be aware that that's a thing. I know like one of, from listening to your shows, one of the things that, that you talk about all the time is distribution and the power of distribution. Yes. Well, a lot of business owners don't even think about that until they're in it. And then they're like, okay, I got distribution. What do I do now? Yeah, I have a product. Bring it on. Here it is, folks. Just because you have it doesn't mean they're going to show up at your door. And just because you need distribution doesn't mean you should be doing distribution, right? That's right. There are people out there that specialize in just about everything today. And I think uh, another thing that distinguishes the shift to entrepreneurship is realizing that strategic alliances or joint ventures or outsourcing or whatever you want to call it, you can actually make a lot more money if you get out of your own way and have a lot more impact at the same time. See, I happen to believe we're all creating movements. As entrepreneurs, we're all creating movements. Some of us are just better at it than others. And we can learn from those people. Elon Musk, as we record this, sometime in a few hours, they're sending astronauts into space. That's right. Private company. Like 10 years ago, they started this path 12 years ago. But 10 years ago, if you said a private company could take an astronaut to the space station, you'd have been laughed out of anywhere, except for him and a few other people. And they actually put a bunch of time and effort and investors' money and time and sweat. And now they're launching privately a little express bus, a little Greyhound shuttle taking astronauts into space. And it is such a shift, a private company, astronauts in space. And then the last criteria that I look for, John, is real important. Right now, I'm done playing small. I've done a lot of playing small, and small is fun. But what I've learned is it's just as much work to, to swing for the fences as it is to bunt singles, if you will. So now, when we look at our strategic partnerships, our new ventures, we look at a minimum seven-figure, ideally eight, and potentially nine-figure outcomes. 
And that really has forced a discipline on us that we didn't have before that is much appreciated by our team. <laughs> I would imagine much, much so, yes. Oh, now you're focusing your decisions. Way to go, Tom. That's so much better. So you're selling the herd and not just the horse. Right. Or a chain of ranches or, you know, a license program for the ranches or the distribution. I don't know much about the meat business other than I eat a lot of it. And uh, a guy I met years ago at a marketing event is now the sort of lead spokesperson for the Brazilian meat industry. And I haven't talked to him in years, but I noticed we both signed up for a digital virtual event this weekend. And he commented on one of my posts. And I looked, Miguel, oh my gosh. So I looked at his profile and sure enough, he is now like the spokesperson for all of the great meat in Brazil. And I thought, wow, when I was just last talking to him, he was wanting to be that. And then I look at his posts and they're all in Portuguese, so I can't read them without Google Translate <laughs> to help me out. Yes. And there's a picture from five years ago organic beef patties and the brand is kirkland oh you know what that brand is that's the house label for costco Costco, yes it's the costco house brand so he has got his organic beef in freaking costco since i talked to him last now you want to talk about a different game Holy cow, I can't even imagine. That is distribution to the max. Oh, my word. I love it. When it comes to branding, I want to go back a couple minutes here. There's a lot of focus on the funnel and the branding, personal versus business. I'm conflicted on this. There's so much going on in the personal branding and creating value through the name of the individual as opposed to the business brand. Where is your playbook in personal versus business branding? Wow, what a great question. I've never been asked that question probably ever. And I think it's (laughs) such an important question because the answer is not an either or answer. It's an and or. And I'll tell you what I mean. When you've got a business that depends on the business being the star, not the person, you absolutely need to brand the product. On the other hand, if you're creating an identity for yourself as an authority, people want to deal with people we know, like, and trust. Well, we don't trust brands anymore. I mean, yesterday or day before, I saw Hertz rental cars went out of business or went into receivership, I guess. Right. They're one of the top car rental brands in the entire world. So a brand in and of itself is no longer trusted by consumers. So if you're in the trust business, then you definitely need to build your authority. And I think it's super important that people are strategic in that answer to that question that you said, okay, what am I doing? Where am I going? There's another caveat here. If you're building to sell, you better not make it based on you. That's where I was going, is that because you sell the business, then you're no longer in the image. Yeah, and and you get far less for that business if it's based on you. If it's based on your systems, you get far more. So I wouldn't get as much for John's Burgers as I would John's McDonald's owned by John's Burgers LLC. Or Patagonia beef. You could brand it based on where your ranch is rather than who owns the ranch. That's so right. a lot of entrepreneurs forget that at some point they're going to be done with the business they're in. <laughs> right? Now, for some of us, that's when they put us in a box and send us on our merry way. The reality is most people will want to get out of their business before that point, hopefully. And so that means an exit. An exit can be to outsiders. It can be to insiders, your team. It can be passed on down to your generation. But if someone else is going to pay for it, 
they're going to pay more if you're not essential to the business's success. So Joe Rogan, I mean, that podcast show, he couldn't sell that. He's licensed his work to Spotify, but he's not selling it. Right. No one will buy Joe Rogan, Rogan's podcast because it's Joe. Yeah. And so some businesses just don't have exit potential. That's okay if that's by design. My experience, though, most small business owners aren't even thinking that far ahead when they get into business in the first place. I remember for years, people would say, well, start with the end in mind. Plan your exit before you start. I'm like, I've had 87 businesses. I never planned my exit on almost all of them <laughs> at the start. Today, it's a totally different strategy. But in the beginning, gosh almighty, I had no clue what they meant by that. And then when we go to sell, it would show. I had no clue what they meant by that. Well, having a brand and franchising, and I just did an interview with Jim Amos on franchising. It's a brand. Getting involved in a franchise, you're giving yourself a security blanket for a fee of having a brand recognition that perhaps they spent a billion dollars to create that. So you have what I call the credibility through association the moment you open your doors. Yeah, and that's actually probably the most important question someone should ask if they're looking to buy a franchise is talk to some franchisees that have sold, find out what multiple they've sold for, and you have all you need to know about that franchise. That's right. Because the great ones will sell for five, six, seven, eight times earnings, eight times earnings, John, all day long. Right. And the typical franchise is lucky to get two or three times earnings, right? Just because they're franchise, I will tell you, doesn't mean they're, they're necessarily any better. Um, they could be better. They could be worse. See, the myth is franchising is 90% more likely to succeed. Well, in some cases, absolutely. In most, uh, uh, uh. So it can be a phenomenal way to minimize your risk, and it can be a phenomenal way to leverage your investment. But you definitely want to do your homework. And, and actually, now that I think about it, I think finding out the valuation of the exit would be the fastest way for someone to do that. Like my favorite story is Great Clips. Have you heard of them, John? Oh, yeah. The haircut. Great Clips averages eight times earnings when they sell. And if you've ever cut hair for a living, from your photo, I can tell you're like me. You're follically challenged. <laughs> but uh, those guys sell for eight times. If you've ever cut hair for money, you're not even allowed to own the franchise. Think about that. Well, why would that be? Because they want you to run the business of haircut salons, not be cutting hair. Basically, keep turning the inventory. Yes, and hire managers and train them and support them and support your team and like do the job of running your business. In fact, when they shifted from to this model, they had about 100 locations and their VP of franchising told me the story. They grew to 900 locations inside of five years from 100 when they made this change. You had to agree to buy five locations minimum and build them out one at a time. You had to agree not to manage your stores. You hired a manager from day one. It was just a, such a brilliant model. I just love it. So much we can learn from their story. Great clips. That's interesting. There's so many opportunities out there. And what I've often said to, in fact, always tell my audience is that you don't have to go out and reinvent the wheel. That's a big project. Just figure out how to put, as I've been training myself, put a spoke in it. Make that wheel turn better, smoother, faster. Yes. And learn what technology, and in my case of success, what could technology do for me that would make my job in my industry, which at the time was real estate, make it easier. 
And by surrounding yourselves, as you and I have done for decades, with people that are very smart in their specific fields, it brings together a team that can deliver a product, in the case of a business, that will give you perhaps eight times or greater your return on investment. You should be buying a cash flow with equity, which is non-taxable income uh, as it accrues for the long term, and it provides an exit strategy. One of the nice things about being around the block more than an hour is we've all been burned, right? So I think we learn more from our mistakes. That's why my bio to this day talks about made and lost millions, because frankly, some of our best lessons come from those mistakes where we look back and go, wow, really stepped in that there, didn't I? I mean, here's the way I look at it. You either learn from your mistakes or you learn from someone else's mistakes. Folks, this is a gentleman who knows what he's talking about. This is Tom Matson, and you can find out all the information, the links, as well as his scholarship opportunities. I recommend something like this for your kids. Get them out from in front of the television. Give them a skill set that they will never outgrow, and that is how to become successful, how to think beyond the television, the classroom, and learn entrepreneurship and learn about business. Where best than through Business Soup? Check out Tom Matson's link right here on Business Soup. And Tom, as I said, we could go on forever, but I've got to say thanks for being a part of this serving of Business Soup. Tom Matson, folks. Thanks, John. This has been another serving of Business Soup, where business comes for business. I'm John Debevoise, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.